Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. We are continuing a series entitled Resilient, where we've been walking through uh, the six major areas of life. We call them the six pillars. And we are in week two of pillar number four, the financial pillar. So if this is your first time here and you're checking out our church and you said in the car on the way here, you know what would be funny if the message is on money because we left our last church because of money. It would be funny. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> I, somebody asked me, do you, do you get nervous talking about money? I'm like, I, if it's in the Bible, I don't get nervous about it. Now when I have to make stuff up, I get really nervous. But I, we talked last week, remember, 25% of the pillars Jesus talked about he talked about money, uh, of the parables he told. They involve money. So we can't be afraid of it. Um, and so I get there's stuff that comes with it. So let's just kind of jump in this together. Uh, this is going to be very practical, but also highly scriptural. And point one and four, so that you know, if I was just preaching this message the way I wanted to preach it, I'd preach points one and four, because I think they're the ones that we most need to talk about in the body of Christ. Uh, but points two and three are important, especially for young people who are laying the foundation for their future. And so just some of you might go, oh, I know this, I, I, I got this. Okay, great. Remember, not every moment of every message is for you. The Holy Spirit's trying to speak to the person next to you, okay? So don't check out. Let's, it's always wise to come into the house of the Lord humbly hearing what the Holy Spirit wants to speak. And for some of us, it might be a little bit of a refresher. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to open up to Malachi 3, put a marker in 1 Chronicles 29. Uh, we'll get to both of them eventually in the message. And while you're turning there, I'll show you in week two of each of the assessment of the pillars, uh, we look at the results of the assessment so that we can all kind of have an awareness of where we are. And, and of the people who took the survey in our church, which I realize is not even close to everybody, but appreciate those of you who did it. Uh, honestly, when I see the number compared to the overall number of adults we have at our church, uh, I just wonder how much worse the scores would be if everybody took it. So 9% of our church says, you know, in the financial area of my life, I feel like I'm, I'm getting an A. Uh, then we have 20% of our church that says uh, B or C. That, that's how I, I grade out as a B or C. And then check this out. Over two-thirds of our church says I'm, I'm a D or an F. Just think about that. So if you aren't doing as well in this area of your life and you think it's just you, it's not just you, okay? It's a lot of us. So let's not heap any shame. We, we make sure we're not judging anybody's results because you might be doing amazingly in the, the financial pillar, but you might be just getting your teeth knocked in in the physical pillar or emotional pillar. So we gotta make sure in a family, in a healthy family, we don't judge other people's honest assessment of where they're at in their lives. And I just want to tell you how proud of you I am for being honest. I can respect an F that is honest. I can't respect an A, which is a lie. Okay? So I love it. I love this is the kind of church we are. We're like, these and Fs, bro. I feel welcome here. It's college all over. Just kidding, it wasn't that bad, but it, it, it was at times. So uh, we kind of knew we'll, we'll kind of just have a little bit of a light moment together. We, we kind of knew we might have a little bit of work to do 
in the physical, the, the financial area when 18% of those who filled out the assessment that did so in paper form, 18% of those people who took the survey on paper uh, miscalculated their score. <laughs> so we kind of knew we got some work to do. Love a good challenge, you know what I'm saying? So we're going to talk about some nuts and bolts stuff in this message. And last week we talked about, if you weren't here, one of the things we really keyed in on is my money isn't my money. Your money isn't your money. Everything in heaven and on earth belongs to God. That's why the title of this week's message is His Money in My Hands. That's the appropriate scriptural way to see financial resources. It's all His but he entrusts it to me. My money isn't my money because I own it. My money is my money because I've been asked to steward it and I will stand in account of it. So that money is my responsibility, not yours, okay? So we're gonna talk through four of the major areas that I believe God desires us to really, uh, to be considered good stewards financially, we need to have these four areas not only understood, but we need to be dialed in in all four of these areas. Here's the first area as it relates to his money in my hands. Point number one, he desires that we return it. Of the resources God entrusts to us, one of the major things God desires is that we would return it. Now in scripture, there's a word for this, tithing. I get it that for some of us, this word tithe or tithing is like a profanity, okay? So when you hear the pastor say tithe, something visceral happens inside of you. Like I've learned that after nine years of being a senior pastor and 21 years of, of vocational ministry. You say the word tithe, you're going to get oftentimes a visceral response. We talked last week that money is an emotional thing. And some people they see this so strongly. And let's just, what, what does the word tithe mean in the Bible? It literally means tenth. Isn't that a terrible word? It's so profane. Can you imagine if you were at a football game watching your favorite team seated next to a, a fan for the opposing team and you got so riled up at them that you wanted to send a mean message to them and you just leaned over and you said, you know what you are? A tithe. Can you even, they'd probably hit you in the face. Imagine if you went to your children's school and just shouted out in the line of cars waiting to pick up your child and you got frustrated with the traffic and you go, 10th! <laughs> okay, you get them being a little sarcastic, right? Why have we given the enemy so much power as though he took a word God created and made it profane. Tithe simply means tenth. And for those who say, well, Preston, immediately, listen, you, you need to know the tithe was a law thing. I'm not under the law, I'm under grace. Jesus came to fulfill the law. Yeah, not do away with it, to fulfill it. Okay? But, but let's, let's just, let's make sure we can get on the same page. The tithe was a God thing long before it was ever considered a law thing. I'm going to show it to you. The very first tithe that went to the Lord was Abram after he went and rescued Lot, Genesis 14, 18 through 20. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, 
brought out bread and wine as a type of Christ. He was the priest of God most high, so he was priest and king. You've probably heard me teach about that before. Verse 19, and he blessed Abram and said, blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, God being the possessor of all things, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And he, Abram, gave him, God, Melchizedek, but to God, a tenth of all. Okay, this is 430 years before the law talked about tithing. I just want you to think about that because it, it, the, the old bullet of, well, the tithing, tithing is under the law. I'm going to show you a couple of scriptures, but I want to tell you something. If you think that humans, some human beings can have a visceral perspective of the tithe, I'm going to show you in scripture, there is one who has a more visceral perspective of the tithe than anybody else. You know who it is? God. I'm going to show you two passages. God is undeniably possessive of the tithe. Let me show it to you. Leviticus 27, 30. And all the tithe of the land, not some, not portions, all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. God goes on record and says, Preston, the tithe is mine. Everything is mine. But the tithe, I want you to know, it's mine, mine. Watch, watch what is said next. It's holy to the Lord. Here's what that means. God, I'll personalize it as saying to me, Preston, the tithe is mine, mine. The word holy means altogether separate. Okay? It doesn't mean more clean. Some of us act like that. It means altogether different or separate. God looks at the first tenth of everything he entrusts to me and says, son, I want you to understand something. It's all mine, but that's especially mine. And I have a purpose for why I go on record and say, that's mine, mine. He's possessive of the tithe. Think about it like this, because some people, uh, they have a pre-law perspective of the tithe and a post-law perspective of the tithe. And let me kind of just speak to this. Um, I have a truck that I owned when I lived in Dallas. And there are different laws uh, in Texas than in Arizona. When I moved to Arizona, uh, for instance, in Texas, it cost me $30 a year to register my truck. I come to Arizona, it was like $30,000 to register my truck. They're like, hey, good news moving here. Property tax is low. Bad news, we're going to stick it to you with your car. But here's the thing. Even though the rules look a little bit different here compared to there, the truck is still mine. It was mine before I lived here. It's still mine living here. In the same way, before the law, tithe is his. After the fulfillment of the law with Jesus, the tithe is still his. It was his before, it's his after. So here's what that means. A lot of people talk about, are we, I get asked this fairly consistently, are we required to tithe? First, I would say, that's not how love talks. That's how law talks. I mean, think about it. If I just said to you, hey, um, am I required not to sleep with another woman if I'm married? Some of the ladies, like, I would slap you. Okay, I, I, think about this. Love doesn't talk in terms of requirement. 
Love talks in terms of opportunities. Studying the one you love and then living in such a way that they're honored above everybody else you love. Okay? That's part of what the tithe is. I don't see the tithe as a requirement. I don't. He said, Preston, this is mine, mine. And one of the ways that you consistently know you believe me to be preeminent, which I am, but one of the ways you know you actually believe that is as it relates to your money that I have entrusted to you and you will stand an account for. You put me first. That's why I say it's mine. Because the tithe is his, the tithe cannot be given to God. It can only be returned. That's why point number one is return it, not give it. I hear this, and I don't correct people, but I hear it uh, fairly regularly. Gateways where I give my tithe. Or Southern Shuts Church is where I give my tithe. Uh, well, well we, we can't give the tithe because it's not ours to give, it's ours to return. Let me explain it like this. With Christmas coming, let's say I let you borrow my truck. Uh, and then Christmas Day, you're, you no longer need it, you have a vehicle by then, and you text me and you say, Preston, I have something I want to give you. Can I come over? I'm like, yeah, Merry Christmas, oh, oh, oh. You come to my door and it's like, you were acting like this is the biggest, it's, it's like, Preston, you're not gonna believe this. Like I know, I've, I've watched you a little bit and I know there's a certain truck you love. My spouse and I have decided to do something for you. We are going to give you that truck. And I look behind you into my driveway and I see my truck that I loaned to you that you're returning to me. See what I'm saying? The truck is the tithe. I can't give it to him. That's why, I, listen, and, and I know for some of us who have never tithed, it's a huge deal to tithe. I remember the first time Holly and I did it, it, it felt so great and it, it was a test, all that stuff. But I, I, I feel like sometimes we over-celebrate it uh, when it's just bringing the keys back to the owner. It's not mine to give. It's his to return. Now, I told you God has a visceral perspective of the tithe and feelings towards it more than any human who's ever walked the face of the earth, and I'm going to show it to you. And if you open up to Malachi 3, we're going to read it together because there's no doubt when you read this that God feels some kind of way about the tithe. Okay? Malachi 3, starting in verse 8. And let me just say, hard verse alert. Okay, I do this every once in a while. This is a hard passage alert. Okay, I didn't write it. I didn't write any of them. Some of you, this is going to get a visceral response. I don't want to fight you. Okay, please don't come tackle me theologically out. And I'm just reading the Bible, but hard verse alert. Okay, Malachi 3 verse 8. This is God talking. This is what he says. Will a man rob God? Preston, how do you know that that's how God would say it? Well, first, I don't but it's based on the next sentence. I don't posture as a grammarian, but I do know enough about our language to know that if there's an exclamation mark at the end of a sentence, it means that the statement was exclaimed. It was strong, it was firm. Watch the next line. Will a man rob God? That's halfway through the thought. Yet you, Preston, have robbed me. 
Exclamation mark. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? God says, in tithes and offerings. Listen, I'm reading it for me. Before we started doing this, when I was 22 years old. Preston, you've robbed me in your tithes and offerings. Verse 9, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Now, I've been around the block enough to know that when people get to verse 9, they're like, okay, now those are fighting words. Preston, you're, you're trying to put a curse on me. Jesus came to break the curse. I'm not under a curse. Okay, please don't want to fight. It reminds me of the time Pastor Robert, my mentor, the founder of Gateway in Dallas, for many, many years when he would teach on biblical stewardship, he would make the statement as far as Gateway went in Dallas. He would say, I'll give you a money back guarantee. If you step out to tithe and you feel like it doesn't work the way you believe God says it works and is supposed to work in your life, we will give you a money back guarantee. Now, there's a little bit of irony in that because you can't give back to somebody what wasn't theirs in the first place, but you, you understand what his point was, right? So what do you know? In the first 13 years, there was one person who wanted their tithe back. And who do you think they had sit down with the guy to talk to him about it? <laughs> the young guy. Always the young guy in the room. Press, we need you to do something. Great. What do you need? There's a guy who wants to take us up on the money back guarantee. We want you to sit down with him. Here's his check. Whichever way it goes, if you need to return it to him because he no longer wants to return it to the Lord, then hand it back to him. Okay, great. Guy was sharp theologically. We went back and forth for two and a half to three hours. He had a ton of scriptures in one half of the Bible. I just lovingly brought scriptures from the other half of the Bible. And so we went back and forth and, and I learned something that day. The tithing can be a visceral thing with people. And, and here's why. Because if my money is mine, if, you, if I feel you're taking it from me, I will fight you over it. Hey, I went into the meeting like, like a naive, naive and ignorant little boy. Like, Bible says, God says in the Bible, the tithe is mine. Like, I just kind of settled that. I'm not going to fight over what he says is his. I mean, here, once I got a revelation of it, I just settled it. We don't even talk about it anymore. It's like when Holly and I tithe, it's not like, here we are. No, here's your keys. Thanks. Thanks for letting me borrow way more than this. And at times, letting me spend it how I'd like. Here's your keys. Okay, well, this guy was like trying to grab his keys and my keys out of my pocket. Okay, why? There's some things there. And, and here's what I'd say. I heard a lot on, Preston, I'm no longer under curse. And push this. Here's what I would say. Sometimes I think the enemy loves to get us to focus in on one verse so that we don't focus on the next verse. Let me just read to you verse 10. And, and just remember this. God so badly wants me and you to get a revelation of the tide that he attaches extremely strong promises to it. And listen to the promises. Verse 10, Malachi 3. God says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Okay, that answers the question, where does the tithe go? And, and please hear this the right way. Scripture says not to charity. Hear my heart, because we're going to talk about it in point four. It's not one or the other. Okay? God says, bring the tithe into my storehouse. And then, in case there's any of us that argue, he says, let me tell you my why. So that there may be food in my house. 
Food for children, food for teenagers. This is not just physical food. We're talking spiritual food, the bread of life. The house of God was meant to be a smorgasbord of food, spiritual food. Not that we get fat on, but that, as, that we would use as protein to go out and continue to expand the boundaries of God, God's kingdom with our lives. He says it in my house. But watch this. If, if you're riled up in your heart right now, especially we have some amazing people in our church who run amazing God-honoring nonprofits. Hear my heart. It's not one or the other. It's just the tithe can't go anywhere but back to God's house. Over and above that, it's the wild, wild west. Holly and I don't just give to this church. We like to sow all over. Okay, but watch what God says next. He says, and try me or test me now in this. Preston, test me. Nowhere else in the Bible does he says this. I want you to get this revelation so badly, not of money, but of my principle of being put first and knocking out the substructure of mammon on the earth, especially in your life, Preston. I so badly want you to get a revelation of this. I want you to test me, children. Says the Lord of hosts, see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there won't be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Here's the deal. Before you start to go, name it and claim it, prosperity gospel on me and say, that's what Preston's preaching. No, he's not. I'm reading a verse and here's what I would say. God's goal isn't for us to get more. God's goal is for us to get it, not get more. We don't give to get, we don't tithe to receive. We don't return to receive. We do it because it's one of the ways God established that we would send a message first and foremost to ourselves, not just to God, that he is above all. God is preeminent. He's over all, beneath none, beside no other. And when we tithe, that's one of the things we are saying. That brings us to point number two. If you didn't like point number one, you're probably not gonna like point number two, okay? I gotta, I gotta rush through it, I'm already behind. One of God's desires for the money he entrusts to us is that we would save it. Point number two, save it. Two, two elements of saving. First, we save four. Okay, so, so Proverbs 21 verse five says it like this. Careful planning puts you ahead in the long run. Hurry and scurry puts you farther behind. Let me illustrate this. There are two ways to buy something. Save up for it and then buy it, or buy it and then pay for it. Right? One way, you save up for it. The other way, you throw the credit card down, you pay for it later, somewhere 10 to 20 plus percent. Right? Hurry and scurry, Preston, puts you further behind. I believe one of God's favorite times to give us something is after we've saved for it. We have a little party, a little savings party. He's like the divine Dave Ramsey. <laughs> well done. But saving, one of the things that saving does is, is it helps us overcome the I want it now mentality running rampant on the earth. And think about it like this, saving makes us make more wise financial decisions. If I have to save up for something for 18 months and then I'm forced to decide in seconds if I want to buy it, 
I got 18 months of hard work that went into affording this. We all know this. How many times do we save 18 months for something and then it's time to go buy it and we're like, yeah, bro, it's not worth it. Yeah, because it was 18 months. But everything is worth it when I can just put a credit card down, right? And yet it's costing, especially when we first got married, 21%. It was costing us 21% more per year to hurry and scurry financially. We want it? Let's do it now. Saving for is a scriptural principle. Second, sending ahead. This is investing for the future. It appears as though, this is one of my favorite one-liners in the message, it appears as though in God's order of financial priorities, tomorrow's needs come before today's desires. Let me show it to you in scripture. Proverbs 24, verse 27. Do your planning and prepare your fields before building your house. I get context of, of this passage. This is an agricultural society. We talked about this last week. So scripture is saying, well, what was the method of re recurring revenue? Some people these days call it mailbox money. What was the method of recurring revenue in an agricultural society? Their field, right? It would produce every year. Scripture says, and I'll personalize it, Preston, before you start thinking about the house you're going to temporarily live in for a little while, the next couple years, you need to plan and prepare your fields, that which will take care of you on an annualized basis for the rest of your life. In God's economy, tomorrow's needs always trump today's desires. Now, this is really more for the young people and any of us who haven't really had great financial teaching. I want to get a little practical before we move to point number three. A couple of things. First, as it relates to your money, you are not the wisest person. So if you ever hear yourself say, no one knows what to do with my money better than me, you're proving you're dead wrong. Okay? It's just not true. Proverbs 12, 15 says this, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. L let me turn that another way. When I always think I'm right, I'm just exposing I'm the fool in the room. But he who heeds counsel is wise. Another one of my favorite verses, Proverbs 15, 22, plans go wrong for lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. So let me speak to the younger people. You're going to be at Thanksgiving family dinner and Uncle Eddie is going to be at the table. And Uncle Eddie is going to be talking about crypto. And he's watched three YouTube videos about crypto. And he's going to sound like a genius, this Uncle Eddie. I mean, he's going to sound brilliant, okay? But let me teach you something I learned early on. Jesus made a brilliant, many brilliant statements. One of my favorites, he said, wisdom is shown to be right by its results. And I learned a long time ago as it relates to money, never take advice from someone whom you don't want to be in their shoes in their season of, of life financially. Don't heed their advice. So if Uncle Eddie isn't where you feel like God called you to be in that season of, the life, of your life, you need to shut Uncle Eddie up. Sorry, Uncle Eddie, you cray cray. I remember when I was first at Gateway, there was somebody who, who came that I respected a lot. Remember, I had school debt more than what I made in a year as a, a pastor at Gateway uh, part-time, and we had consumer debt quickly after that more than what I made in a year. Okay, I was very foolish, didn't understand how to steward money back then. 
And someone that I respected came to me and said, I got a deal for you. Okay, young people, when someone tells you that in church, just run. Just run. Okay, I don't mean that disrespectfully. Just run. Okay, but I'm going, what do I know? I'm 22. You know, I don't know how to manage money. They're like, I got a deal for you. Well, what is it? The Kuwaiti currency is about to explode in valuation. Preston, and I don't remember the, the specifics, it's 20 years ago, uh, but in, in essence, $1 buys you, let's just say 120,000, whatever the, the method of currency was. And it's about to explode. If you invest this amount of money, you will be an instant multi-millionaire, Preston. And your future will be totally taken care of. It was the first time I ever felt a little bit of a check from the Holy Spirit when someone talked to me about money. And here's what I remember feeling and hearing in that moment. Preston, I want you to take a look. Not judgmentally, but I want you to take a look at where he is. Moves out of his house, buys a different house every eight months, wheeling and dealing constantly. Is that what you want 25 years from now? Is that what you feel like I've called you to? And I said, no. He said, then don't listen. And unfortunately, everybody who invested, sure enough, lost everything they invested. So, wisdom shown to be right by its, its results and have a multitude of counselors if you want to succeed for the future financially. Then also, we need to talk about diversity. Uh, I know many of us understand this, but wise investors invest in a portfolio of investments rather than in an individual pro product. Okay, I wanna be really sweet about this, but let me talk to the other end of the spectrum, age-wise, to our oaks in, in the faith. Please be really careful when you see a commercial that involves someone you used to watch on television every day or every week in the 70s who is pushing a financial product, whether it's a reverse mortgage or a long-term annuity, please just be careful, please. Scripture's clear. No wise man or woman invests in only, puts all their eggs in one basket. And I'm going to show it to you in Scripture. Ecclesiastes 11, verses 1 and 2. Send your grain across the seas. In other words, send it ahead. And in time, profits will flow back to you. But divide your investments among many places. Some translations say among seven or eight places. Divide your investments, Preston, among many places, for you do not know what risks might lie ahead. A diversified portfolio. We never go all in on one thing. I have an Apple Watch. I have an iPhone. I have a MacBook. I'm putting all of my retirement in Apple. Just remember this passage. Send it ahead in a variety of places. Because let me just remind us all, 100 years from now, Apple won't exist. IBM won't exist. Coca-Cola won't exist. Odds are. The church in God's kingdom will. The church is the only entity that will remain. So just be careful, okay? Point number three. If you didn't like point one, point two, you're going to love point three. But I'm not going to spend much time here, okay? <laughs> point number three. God desires that we would spend it. Shocker. You thought we were just going to talk about the responsibilities. God actually desires that you spend some of what he entrusts to you. Now, before you get all riled up about this, one of the most important words attached to spending is budgeting. So we need to talk about a budget. Proverbs 21, verse 20. Precious treasure and oil are in a wise person's dwelling. In other words, always within their reach. 
Watch the next part. But a foolish person devours all he or she has. A financial budget is designed to keep the fool in me from devouring what God entrusts to me. Okay, that, that's why a financial budget exists. The life God called you to build involves planning, discernment, and self-control. And here's a, a simple little definition for the word budget. A regulated use of resources. Pastor Robert, again, my mentor, when he over the years talks about uh, biblical stewardship, and he talks about budget. And I, I don't know why, but in their house, they've always called it Mr. Budget. Okay? And he tells the, the stories where somebody, his wife, somebody in the family, or he will say, hey, I would like to do this financially. And he always makes the same voice. He goes, oh, Mr. Budget says no. <laughs> and I, I, well, the first time I heard it, I was like, that is the weird, I've never forgotten it. It's like Mr. Budget doesn't beat us up, but Mr. Budget always holds the line when it's God's line. You know what I'm saying? Sweetly and sometimes more firmly when we need it. Who's Mr. Budget? The one who owns everything in heaven and on earth. It works best when it's the Lord. Again, I'm not telling you that you have to pray about where you go to lunch every day. Mr. Budget, where are we having lunch today? I'm not talking about that. He sets parameters. Now, I want to give you some of the major areas. Let me read you Luke 14, 28. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction, the construction of a life, financially, let's say, of building this life without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Budgeting is a scriptural principle. Now, what goes in our budget? First, everyday expenses. Isaiah 55, 2. Preston, why do you spend money for what is not bread? and your wages for what does not satisfy. A wonderful scriptural reminder when I get a little bit out of balance and start spending more than I can afford to spend. Here's the way I would say it. Every day comes before one day. I'm not talking about investment. Think about it. When we say one day, I wanna own that. One day. One of the things I've learned is if I'm not careful, I will speed up one day and spend too much on one day at the expense of my everyday expenses. And I've learned the hard way, it does affect the way we live our day-to-day -day lives. Every day, scripture says, everyday expenses take priority over the one-day dreamy expenses. Second thing that needs to be in our budget, and this might surprise you, enjoyment. Enjoyment. I have to work on this. 1 Timothy 6, 17, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Let's personalize it. I'll, I'll do it with me. Preston, if you ever become so serious about stewarding every dime I entrust to you, that you can't enjoy the dimes I give to you, you're doing it wrong. I give you everything you need, son, for your enjoyment. I want you to enjoy this process. God doesn't give us what he gives us simply for enrichment. In other words, to make us wealthier. He gives us what he gives us for sweet enjoyment. In your budget, do you have a category that ensures there's some joy 
financially in your home. Maybe it's a tough financial season and it's just, uh, this is my favorite candy bar and I just want to buy the little girl in me. And again, we're going to talk about this in the emotional pillar. But you just want to buy the little girl in you, uh, your favorite candy bar every once in a while. Great. It doesn't have to be expensive. If it brings joy and it fits in the budget, light that thing up like a Christmas tree in Times Square. God wants us to enjoy, not overspend or overindulge, but enjoy within the boundaries he gives us. And then when we talk about budgets, we have to talk about indebtedness, debt. Proverbs 22, verse 7, the borrower is servant to the lender. There's a phrase out there that, that is becoming, in my opinion, a dangerous phrase. Maybe you've heard it, FOMO. You heard this? Stands for fear of missing out. I hope you understand what FOMO is. It, it's a brilliant attempt, and it's a psychological maneuver to get us to make impetuous financial decisions. So they'll put a clock on something. You get an email. Preston, you have 42 seconds to buy this at this price. And if you don't buy it at this price, you're going to lose out forever on this price. One of the things I've learned is oftentimes that clock restarts if you don't do it. Uh, just a total sidebar. But other things, limited release. And then they release something else limited the next day. And then the day after that, and the day after that. Okay, it's designed to increase revenue at the expense of some of our financial peace. Hurry up, you'll miss out. Hurry up, make a decision. Well, just put the credit card down. I haven't saved, but this is a great deal. Just put the credit card down. It's, that's, that's when we try and, and convince ourselves we're being good stewards. It's 10% off, but it's 22% interest. How does someone stay out of consumer debt in the age of FOMO? I believe scripture gives us the answer, contentment. Hebrews 13, verse five, let your conduct be without covetousness. In other words, Preston, don't be getting on apps every day and seeing what's dropping when you can't afford it. Don't covet what you can't afford, son. Be content with such things as you have. For he, God himself has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. The foundational concrete of contentment is knowing the one who is always with me in this life is better than chasing more of that which I cannot take with me when I die. That's contentment. That's why God in Hebrews 13 is saying, here's the key to contentment, moi. The God of the universe says that to me and to you. Preston, you want to nip covetousness in the bud? Fix your gaze on me, not on that. Especially, son, if you can't afford it. That brings us to the last point, point number four. Give it. I absolutely, with all of my heart, believe that one of God's greatest desires as it relates to the financial resources he entrusts to us is that we would give it. I'm going to show it to you in scripture. But remember, tithing isn't giving. Tithing is returning. Okay? Giving is that which is given to God over and above the tithe. Now, let me say, what is giving it to God? It's not just giving to the church. Okay? There are we have some amazing people in this church doing some amazing things, even running amazing kingdom-expanding nonprofits. And we sow into them. Amazing. I'm not saying it's one or the other. It's both and. 
but the tithe is the Lord's and nobody else's. And he said, it comes back to my house. Okay, so once we settle that, what is giving to the Lord? It isn't just giving to the church. It's giving. What did Jesus say? When you did it to the least of these, as though on a street corner, Preston, when you did it to somebody on a street corner, to the least of these, to whom was I actually doing it? To God. Jesus said, you did it to me. When you gave that to them, when you paid for their groceries, you did it, you did it for me. You gave to me. Now, here's what we need to remember. All of us, not just believers in Jesus, every human created, is created in God's image. Here's what that means. We were all created in the image of the capital G giver. Most famous verse in the world, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. So let me give you a, a line I hope you never forget. We are never more like God than when we give. We are never more like God than when we are giving. Everything, creating what he created, he was giving. That's why he looked at it and said, this is good. Let me, let me uh, kind of translate for you, just read between the lines. When he looked at what he was creating and said, it's good, he was thinking about you. He's going, Preston's going to love this. He created white-tailed deer in, in his heart. I know he said, my boy Preston's going to love this one. That's why I looked at it and said it was good. He wasn't just complimenting himself. He was making a statement, a declaration. I'm a giver. This is a good thing, and I'm giving it. He gave Jesus. I, I just want you to think about this. What do you think God was like when he gave Jesus? Do, do you really think that God, the giver, so loved the world that he gave, that he gave like this? Psh, here, begrudgingly. Just take it. Because if you don't take Jesus, you're going to die. We're going to be apart forever. So just take it. I don't want to give it up, but here. Do you really think that's what God was like? Okay, then why do you think? God goes on record. I'm going to read it to you in Scripture. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Why does God love a cheerful giver? Because that's what he looks like every time he gives. When he gives something, he's just going... <laughs> I'm convinced. Show it to me in the Bible, Preston. I can't. I'm just going on. It's just a guess. He's a giver. I read how he talks when he gives. He loves to give. What do we look like when we give? If you're new here, we're, we're going to be giving an offering this weekend. And it's the first time in our church's history that we haven't given a need-based offering. And I don't mean out of desperation. What I mean is scripture would call this a free will offering. And, and you might be wondering, well, why are we taking up an offering if we don't need the funds? Let me give you the romantic perspective. It's like a date with my wife. I don't want to take her on a great date because we need it. When I take her on a great date and she says, why are you doing this? I want to just sweetly be able to innocently say, because it's Tuesday and I'm obsessed with you. I don't want to say, well, it's been a little rocky for us lately. And you seem to be in a not so great place. That'll get you a slap. And so I feel like you really needed this. 
How romantic is that? How much more romantic is it just to say, it's Tuesday and I'm obsessed with you. I have dreamt. And I know you might just be meeting me for the first time today. I have dreamt since I was a little boy of being part of a church that at times just randomly gave because it was Tuesday and they're obsessed with their daddy. And this is one of those moments. And let me just say, if if you feel that you want to partake, participate in this and give a sweet little treat to the Lord, there there are really two ways. Maybe you brought a check or cash. There's an envelope over there. I'm not going to say one more word about it. We're not going to have some big moment. It's between you and the Lord. If you do it online, there's a QR code. Just do me a favor. In the drop down, put special offering. Here's why. I don't ever want as an elder here to treat the tithe like an offering or offering like a tithe. So it's important to know. Okay? It's not so I can get up next time and just go, like Oprah, look at what came in. Okay? And if you're having a little bit of a struggle and you don't like when the church takes up an offering and you haven't quite gotten a revelation of the sweetness of giving God a gift just because it's Sunday and we're obsessed, let me just tell you something. I went to the elders this last week and I said, hey, this is the first time we've ever taken up an offering that's just scripturally a free will offering. And I I want us to do something. The weekend we're taking up an offering, I want us to give an offering to the Lord. And so we, if this is your church home, we together, no matter what comes in, it doesn't matter if $20 comes in in this, this little sweet treat offering, we're going to give $100,000 to various ministries around the world. We're going to go to Haiti and sow into some incredible ministering, steward some amazing young lives in Haiti. We're going to be sowing into soil that in part goes into Syria in secret and rescues people across the border. That's what we're going to do. We're going to sow into a ministry down at ASU that goes after college kids in our own backyard, hundreds and hundreds of them. We're going to sow into multiple things, but we're going to give an offering because this is what we do. We're givers and we're made in the image of a giver. One of my favorite passages in the Bible on giving so happens to be the most extravagant offering in the Bible, numerically, financially. It's when King David takes up an offering for the temple. And they take up, he, he gives, and I told you this uh, a while back, over $200 billion of present day money, okay? He gave an equivalent of over $200 million. Just think about that. And then the rest of Israel sowed in. So he's just brought the biggest offering anybody most likely in the history of the world will ever financially give. And one of the reasons David is one of my heroes is because of the sweet little boy heart he always walked the earth with. He didn't walk the halls of the kingdom pounding his chest like I'm the warrior. He walked the halls of of the palace like the little boy out in the field. And I want to read you the words that he says. In 1 Chronicles 29, they take up the offering in 28, beginning of 29, in verse 10, it says, Then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. David says, O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord. This guy just dropped 200 billies. You, O Lord, not me, O Lord. Yours, O Lord, 
is the greatness, not mine. Yours, O oh Lord, is the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O oh Lord. And this is your kingdom, not mine. We adore you as the one who is over all things. You're hearing theologically everything we've been talking about these last two weeks. Power, wealth, and honor come from you alone, God. For you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand. And at your discretion, people are made great and given strength. Not because of what they do. It's you, God. Oh, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And who are my people? That we could give anything to you. Everything we have has come from you. And we give you only what you first gave us. We are here only for a moment. Visitors and strangers in the land as our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a passing shadow. God, gone soon, so soon without a trace. O Lord, our God, even this material we have gathered to build a temple to honor your holy name comes from you. It all belongs to you. I know, my God, that you examine our hearts and rejoice when you find integrity there. In other words, the motive behind my giving matters to God. He says, you know, I have done all this with good motives. Listen to what the little boy is saying. I'm not trying to impress the people. I did this because I'm obsessed with you. And you've searched my heart and you know God. And I've watched your people offer their gifts willingly and joyously. And in other words, God, I did not manipulate them to do something. I tried to keep it as sweet and innocent and pure as possible. O oh Lord, the God of our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, make your people always want to obey you and see to it that their love for you never changes. David says, God, this is a holy moment between them and you. He was coming to the end of his life and he was saying, God, will you do whatever needs to happen so that this isn't just one moment in their lives? Let this be what their everyday lives look like for the rest of their lives. I don't know about you when you read scripture, I kind of see it. I'm a visual person, so I see the story, not just read it. And a friend of mine wrote a song years ago with a couple of other people. And when I heard the song, my first thought was, if that song existed when David gave the most extravagant offering ever given, I think that's the song he would have sung before God and led the people in it. And you've probably heard this song. And it just goes very simply. The bridge goes like this. Day and night, night and day, let incense rise. Day and night, night and day, let incense rise. Day and night, night and day, let incense rise. Day and night, night and day, let incense. You are worthy of it all. All the billions and billions I think he would have said. You are worthy of it all. Sing it with me, come on. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. You and you alone, God. 
You are worthy of this all. You are worthy of it all. All my life. For from you are all things. To you are all things. You deserve the glory. I wonder if that day, the little boy and David laying billions upon billions at his feet was probably the number one goal he'd had for years. He was saving up to lay it all at his feet. I wonder if he fell asleep that night praying over the people that this wouldn't be a one-time thing and he just sang to himself and to the Lord. Day and night, night and day, let incense rise in this house. Day and night, night and day, let incense rise. Day and night, night and day, let incense rise. Day and night, night and day, let incense rise. Lord, I just pray over every person here and watching online for those for whom this conversation is frustrating or brings visceral emotions, Lord, I pray you'd, you'd just comfort them by your Holy Spirit. Don't allow the enemy to win. There's nobody bad in this room. Jesus, you bled and died for every one of us in this room. Lord, I, I pray for those who just want to give a sweet little gift to you because it's Sunday and they're obsessed. Lord, I pray you would take their fish and their loaves and you would send it all over the world, that you would sow it all over this valley. I pray that it would come back, not to them alone, but to their children's children's children. And not just temporarily, eternally. I pray for souls. I pray, Lord, that this $100,000 that we're giving to you sowing into all these incredible nonprofit, kingdom-minded, kingdom-expanding ministries all over the world. Lord, we know. We, we wish it was much, much more, but still a lot. Pray that you would take it and multiply it in their hands. More than anything, we pray it would lead to souls. We don't just want to hand out checks. We want to sow seed that grows fruit eternally, and that's souls. Lord, I pray I had your protection over every person here. I pray you'd bless them. And if there's anyone here who doesn't know you personally, Lord, I think it would be an amazing thing for someone to give their lives to you after a message that appears as though it was about money and nothing else. God, everything's about you. And if there's anybody in this room or watching this online who doesn't know you yet personally, Holy Spirit, would you blanket them with your love? Overwhelm them. Chase them down everywhere they go. God, thank you for entrusting to us all you have put in our hands. Would you give all of us a greater anointing to steward it better than ever for the good of your kingdom and enjoyment along the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.